Good afternoon. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. The Toronto Blue Jays lost 6-1 to to St. Louis Cardinals last night. It was Albert Pujols night. He almost goes for a cycle. He gets the chirp Vlad about getting thrown out on the bases. He himself gets thrown out on the bases. We'll talk a little bit about that game throughout the course of the show. But it's a good day to quickly turn the page because... There's a lot going on. The trade deadlines in a couple days. The New York Yankees have added Andrew Benatendi, who uh, is now willing to get vaccinated. Um, one of the Jays' top prospects in Jordan Groshans is uh, conspicuous by his absence in the AAA lineup tonight. And Mark Shapiro hinted, not even hinted, he said the word hopefully, uh, that in addition to the new Rogers Center renovations, that that willingness to spend will be showed over the next five days. It is a couple days out from the trade deadline here. We're getting some Rogers Center renovations over the next couple summers. We'll be joined later uh, by Keith Law to talk about some of the trade scenarios involving the Jays prospects. Allison Footer from MLB.com and Arden Zwelling uh, to help walk us through some of the renos. But the biggest point that I took from the renovations and the, the photos and apologies, this is an audio medium, so you can't see it, but there are going to be a lot more avenues to enjoy a beverage with a friend at the game. So who better to help us break that down than of the fan morning show, the triple bet King JD Bunkus JD. What's up, buddy? That's that's correct. The triple bet King. Thank you for that intro. That's a perfect intro. Honestly, this is the best brand I could ever possibly hope for is a guy who hits bets. And then is the dude that is going to be in the, what I'm going to dub the BL zone at the, at the Rogers center. Don't don't give that away. You got to sell that. Yeah, of course, but still, they they got to sell that. That's yeah. what that's got to be. Like, you're going to be standing there. I'm a little confused in terms of what is going to be general admission versus what is seats and what is mm. bleachers and how much room there is. Because I, I will say this. I love that they're doing it because they need to do it, right? Think about how many times you've been to a baseball game in this city and someone's texted you, oh, are you going to the game tonight? Or I'm going to the game tonight too. And all you have to do is walk up to that gloomy concourse and stand in the dark, basically. Yeah. And you have to choose between congregating and socializing or yeah. watching the game. Exactly. And so you can't watch it. And you can go to the flight deck, but guess what's the flight deck? It's loaded from the very beginning of the game. And then you end up standing at the back of the flight deck, a.k.a. also the concourse. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's it's not conducive to meeting up with people, which it absolutely should be. This is a city that has an extremely popular patio culture. And for the longest time, and even when the Blue Jays stunk, I was trying to rebrand the Rogers Center as Canada's biggest patio. (laughs) I was like, why aren't you just calling it Canada's biggest patio? Go out in the sun, watch the stinky Blue Jays. Who cares? But just be out on a big patio. Drop the price of beer. They'll never do it. (laughs) And have people sit in the sun, get their sunburns, and then go pass out in the concourse or go puke in the concourse. Get the guys who lay down the sawdust in a little while. I just... um, I think that this is a great first step, but I'm just not confident in terms of what exactly we're seeing from those couple of pictures. I need a virtual tour. I need. Yeah. I, hope, I heard that on the tonight that Shapiro is going to come on with Shulman in the fourth, and this is the more. I'm way more excited for the fourth inning with Shapiro, Shulman, and Buck than I am Yusei Kikuchi starting. That's for sure. And if you're uh, if you're listening to the game tonight on the Sportsnet Radio Network, uh, 707 first pitch. We don't know the inning yet, but uh, Shapiro is going to join Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson Smith as well. So uh, no matter where you're consuming the game tonight you're gonna get the mark shapiro verbal tour at least maybe we're getting a 3d virtual tour coming soon but jd you mentioned um 
you know, it, it's at least good in visuals. And I've been to 23 Major League Baseball parks. And were I to sit down and rank those out, other than the ones that just have such rich history and it feels like you're in a special baseball moment yep. the, the minute you walk in, the ones that rank near the top are the ones that do have something like that. And, yeah, you sacrifice revenue to, like, if you're uh, Camden Yard, that is a beautiful, beautiful stadium, and they leave lots of money on the table. Well, if Orioles fans were to actually go to games, they would be leaving money on the table. Um, but having that right and center field be like almost like a little street that runs through, and that's where the shops are, and that's where you can sit down and have a beer. That's amazing. Even even guaranteed rate field where the White Sox play, I was just there a couple weeks ago, and that's nobody's idea of like a beautiful stadium. It's kind of cool because it's in such contrast to Wrigley. But the big thing there is like the entire 100-level outfield concourse is walk up and sit, seat him. And you yep. can have a beer and you can get a dog and hang out there. So I think this is going to be great for the fan culture around the Blue Jays. If anyone didn't see it, by the way, um, the 100 and 200 level outfield will have new social spaces, patios, and bars. The 500 level right field and left field will have social decks as well. They're also going to raise the bullpens uh, with bleacher seats around them and social areas around them. And the 100 level seats will move forward toward new outfield walls. Um, That was a lot of me talking and setting this up, J.D., reading the press release. I I was just going to say, though, do you know... Do you have any clarity in terms of whether or not it's all general admission? Like, do we know no, that yet? That's, that's something we don't know. If I were Ben Wagner or Dan Schulman, that's one of the Question things that I'd one. ask tonight. But it might also be a thing where the logistical step is the next step, right? Like, uh-huh. I don't know. I, I What I would think would be the the best is probably, like, and, and you're concerned about the flight deck being so overcrowded that's alleviated a little bit if there are multiple of these places, right? It's like, oh, meet me in right field. Oh, well, right field's full. We'll go to left field. Um, But I could see it at least being, like, exclusive to the level you're on. See, I don't want that. No, because you want to meet up, right? Yes, and and not only – because, one, it's like – not everybody goes and sits in the same areas. That's the whole point. You might have a friend that's willing to sit in the 500s. Couldn't be me. Like, I'm bougie. You know, I needed my good seats. I'm never going to sit in the 500s ever again. If you give me – you could give me free tickets and money, and I would still say no. No, thank you. You'd also, but I'm not judging. Your, your concern here, though, so everyone knows, is not just that you're bougie. JD's not even wearing a shirt right now on the no. Zoom that we have running concurrent to – I'm out by a pool. I'm, I'm in the I'm in the burbs right now. Yeah. I'm 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 up by pool. I stepped in for this. I, I, I'm having a little Moscow Mule. It's right here. It's Perfect. just like I'm having a great day. Yeah, but I, but that's your issue in the 500 level too. Is that tarp's going to come off if you're having enough at the at 100%. these social decks? 100. percent Yeah. 100. percent I just okay. I don't want it to be like Titanic where it's steerage and then the upper class area, right? I don't I don't want to have it tiered where there's a suit zone and there's a fan zone and there's a meetup zone and there's a 500 zone. You got to have it where anybody can go everywhere, right? Like yeah. it, it has to be egalitarian. It has to be just everybody. If you show up and you get to one of those spots, good for you. Like you're going to want to go to your seats probably at some point anyways. You're probably going to mill around. You're probably going to leave your spot. You're going to have to take a pee at some point. You're going to have to move off of your corner. People are going to move around in these things. Like It's just like a bar. No one goes to a bar and just like stakes out their one spot in it when it's a patio and, and just is like, okay, like we're never going to move. We're never going to stand up. You, you don't get to stake it out the same way. I just think like you open it up to as many people as possible. You have it be as 
easy, as free, um, as accessible to everyone as you possibly can, and that will make the experience good. My only fears are this. Number one is that from the visual I saw, it sort of just looks like a bunch of different flight decks. You know, like it, yeah. it just looks like the same sort of layout all in the same spot where you're going to be – if you're not up at the very front, you're not doing great. And if you are up at the front, you can only talk to like one or two people at a time and be watching the game, the people that are directly beside you, right? Whereas the other ones that you had just mentioned, those other social zones, they're very much more like you're flat. You're kind of looking for – you can be in a, a circle and you can still be watching the game from like any angle that you're at. This one doesn't really appear to be that way, but I'll judge it when I actually see – Again, the virtual mm-hmm. tour of what it is. The bleachers to me look awesome. That yeah. looks like a place where it's going to be like super rowdy. You're going to get some real fans. You're going to get some people that are just buzzing in there a little Buddy, bit more. High um, school and university age Blake yes, has had some exactly. fun interactions with relief pitchers in the past. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I look forward to every 20 year old Jays fan who's having their their first beer, uh, having a good time at, at those bullpens. Number two concern, because and I want to preface this by saying, for me, I'm mostly like over the moon excited about this. The fact that they're just trying something new. I always thought that the better kind of scenario was to blow out one of the areas at the back end of either the third baseline or the first baseline and make it flat and just get rid of the seats there. I guess that they just felt like, hey, you know what? We'll keep building off of the flight deck idea. I just like it when it's on the ground and... You can kind of have a – you never sell those seats anyways. Like those <laughs> seats that are at the back, no one sits at those, like out by the foul poles. Either way, I always thought that's, that's where it would be. But my main concern is obviously, like I said, number one of are there going to be – is there going to be restricted access? Is there going to be like a suits zone? And is it going to have all of a sudden like a Toronto Maple Leafs game vibe <laughs> where, you know, the Like on opening to, day when the King Club was sectioned off for a private exactly, party we couldn't exactly. drink? Exactly. I, yeah. don't, I don't want that. I do not want it to be exclusive zones. I think that's super lame. Let that – you know what the exclusive zones are? Boxes. Yeah. Club zones. Keep it that way. Do not make social congregation areas anything that's tiered. The other concern I kind of have is the way the center field protrudes kind of looks janky in that picture. I don't really love the idea that dead center is not the deepest part of an outfield. And I know that every park is supposed to have its own quirks and dimensions, and adding that to the Rogers Center isn't, like, the worst idea. But to me, it looks way too easy to hit a home run to dead center all of a sudden, and I think that's kind of a little – it's a little bit Astros – Hill in the outfieldish to me. I gotta say, I didn't love it. I didn't love it when I first saw it. Now it, it could just be optical the way the pictures look. Like I, I don't know if we got 100%. measurements. And, and to your point about the the club level stuff, by the way, that's the second phase. Um, they're expecting to roll this out. A lot of all the stuff we've talked about right now is the plan for this coming off season. Uh, in future off seasons, they're going to look at hundred level infield, field level clubs, and then as well as upgrading uh, the stuff for the players and their families. Um, let's transition to another thing Jays fans are hoping they get, which is trade deadline acquisitions. And again, Marsha Pyro spoke today to media, and he said he that in talking about this $300 million, which, by the way, huge point of credit here to the, and I know this is Rogers Station, but this being entirely privately funded, no public money going into yeah. this, um, that's, awesome. that's 1A what you look for as a citizen when these things come out. Um, so that's great. And in talking about that, he said that that is part of what we've seen in terms of uh, a greater willingness to spend on the roster, on the facilities in Dunedin. And he said, hopefully in the next five days. So JD, 
You've got the open checkbook. Other than giving the two of us an A-lish a raise, uh, what are you doing between now and Tuesday? What is your dream scenario trade deadline for the Toronto Blue Jays? First of all, I'd also like to kiss ass to Rogers and just say that I actually do appreciate that. I'm someone who despises publicly owned stadiums. Yeah. I watched my favorite team in basketball, the Seattle Supersonics, lose out to Oklahoma City in what was a just a gigantic black eye and travesty in professional sports. But the one thing that gave me some measure of solace was that the city of Seattle didn't bubble, buckle under the pressure and spend a ton of public money in order to keep the team. I think that it's villainous, it's heinous, the way that this ends up happening a lot of times, and it gets sold as, well, it'll be good for the community when there's actually no real evidence that that's ever been the case. So, um, yeah, I, I know that we work for the company, and it is a little weird to say this, but it actually does mean a lot to me that this isn't publicly funded because none of this stuff really should be. There's a measure of, like, the community deserves a place and how much is it worth to a community. I do think that it could be something, but the fact that the matter is um, oftentimes that's completely oversold, and this is great. Um, the Blue Jays trade deadline stuff. To me, the the order is as follows. Number one dream scenario is just to land... Um, one of these superstar players it would be mm-hmm. to get a Juan Soto, but I, like, let's stay within the realm of like more realistic possibility. Yeah. I want to see wipeout bullpen arms, man. Yeah. I'm I'm tired of these games where I have to pretend like I love seeing Adam Simber come out of the pen, or that I'm okay with Phelps, or that maybe Trevor Richards can get hot for seven games or whatever. When people are doing this, like he was good for seven whole games in low level, it's like shut up. Their bullpen sucks. They don't have swing and miss. They have Romano, and they kind of have Jimmy Garcia, and they have some guys who every once in a while, given the right situation, can be okay. You know what the best baseball teams have? Just like everybody forget 2016 where the Blue Jays had this awesome team. They rolled in the playoffs, and Cleveland showed up, and they went, oh, we can't hit anybody because they get to the sixth inning. 2015, too, with Kansas City. Exactly. It's Kansas City, exact same thing. They got shut down. They shut down the best offenses of baseball. And guess what the Blue Jays have, by the way? Like, an offense that is awesome. If they add left-handed hitting, I'd love to see it. I think they need more diversity so that they avoid bullpens that can kind of, you know, one-dimensional piece them up a little bit. Righty, 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 righty. Yeah, to me, the solution is very clear right now. Get a left-handed bat that gives you a little flexibility, a little bit more power, a little bit on base. I like Hap, and I like the idea that he's got a bit of control. And you get David Robertson all in one swoop. I would I would love that kind of a trade. I would that that would be my kind of ideal thing. I'm not as concerned about the starting pitching. I think you need a starting pitcher. You have to get one. You cannot go past this deadline largely because of a point that you made today. I was actually kind of like on the fence about it, but you pointed out that Ross Stripling is almost at his innings limit for his career or his innings high. Yeah. And I went, "Uh, oh, you know what? This is a little bit too much risk. You've got to add a guy. I don't need a Luis Castillo. The Blue Jays have already invested heavily into starting pitching and they have Alec Manoa. If they go into a series and they just are like completely outgunned because they don't have the best fourth starter in a series, I can live with that. I want bullpen arms. I want a little bit of hitting flexibility. You do those two things, you get an A-plus from old JD. So a David Robertson, Ian Happ package is one thing. Detroit's here for four games. Uh, Gregory Soto has become more and more interesting to me as Tim Mesa has a really good ERA, but we've seen... I don't think John Schneider has as much faith in Tim Mesa as... Charlie Montoyo did. Um, they're really trying to make the Anthony Bonda thing work. And okay, no. well, you know, you can get out of a jam you got yourself into, but they don't have a lefty who misses. He didn't bats. get himself out of that jam. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Luck, the fortune uh, of the baseball gods, got him out of that jam. Um, Tim Mesa is also like not like 
career low bat missing numbers and strikeout numbers. Yeah. So the, the lefty side of things, and we're going to see Gregory Soto at some point in this series, unless Detroit pulls him, you know, hug watches on with the last place team here. Um, so if you were to go starter, then mm-hmm. are you like, is Jose Quintana, Chad cool? That's where you're, that's where you're shopping. Then under the condition that a bullpen arm or two is also coming. Yeah, I would say that I really don't want them to cheap out on the bullpen arms. And, like, things have worked out in the past for different – like, they were the management – because Grilly was 2016, right? I believe so. So if Grilly was their year, that worked out great, right? And he was someone who used to have pedigree, and they brought him in here, and it worked out to a certain degree. But I I don't want to move like that. I want to, like, bona fide stud – reliever right now. I don't want a guy that you go out on the cheap and you try to say this is a reclamation project. It has worked for them in the past. Like you think about Daniel Hudson, for example, he's mm-hmm. kind of like one uh, a in this category. I want a guy who's like a bona fide uh, setup man or closer right now. So that's number one with a bullet for me. No question about it. When it comes to starters, Quintana to me would be the, the top end of the tier of what we're looking at. My only thing with him is is he actually going to go for quite a bit? Because I would think that some kind of a contender would, if they strike out on, if a contender that really needs starting pitching, like just use last year Barrios' contract as a template, right? Mm-hmm. He was a free agent a year from now, right? He had the one year of control that they bought out? Yeah. Yeah, so they had one year of control that he bought out. So if you look at the two main pitchers that are at the very top of the heap and what they're going to cost, I would guess that it's going to be a trade package that's like pretty similar to what the Blue Jays gave up for Brios last yeah. year. Maybe even a little bit more. Castillo and Montes the- are both like probably better pitchers than Jose Brios was at this point last year. So, And not only that, um, I talked to Jim Bowden this morning. He has a buyers and sellers column up right now. He listed 19 buyers, okay? So if you have 19 buyers and two starting pitchers, my guess is, <laughs> is that the price for those two guys is going to be even higher than Jose Barrios was. If you're the Jays, can you go into two straight trade deadlines and make double those trades? Because the Austin Martin one, you do a 10 times out of 10. Like, that's worked out spectacularly for them, yeah. even though... And, the... and now his arm has fallen off and... Ex- exactly. Like, it's just, in terms of what they gave up, it reminds me actually a lot of the Jeff Hoffman deal where you went, oh my God, they gave up that guy, and then two years later you went, oh my God, so this guy's not going to really have a career, huh? Yeah. Imagine so... how we'd feel right now had they traded Nate Pearson at some point as one of the yeah. prospects cashing in for... The prospect attrition rate is just too, too high to be married to any prospect. I'm going to get crazy with you. Here's why I don't want them to go nutso on a starting pitcher is because I think that you could enter an offseason where both Juan Soto and Shohei Otani are available. And you want the prospect capital. I want the bullets in the chamber still. I don't want to deal away in a Ralvis Martinez to get Luis Castillo when I already have three guys that on any given day could pitch better than him. You know? Like, I just don't see the logic in that. I do in terms of – it's – you can't have enough starting pitching and having those four guys and having them all roll into next season. Of course, it's attractive. Of course, it's fun to think about. I just the the idea that those two guys could be available in an offseason and that there was a bidding war and that the Jays would be able to have a mix of like uh, affordable guys that can be on your major league roster that maybe you can extend like a Teoscar Hernandez or a Lourdes Gurriel Jr. The top end prospects and Gabriel Moreno, who's a top five prospect. Uh, um, El Martinez, who's a top 25, 30 prospect, somewhere in that range. Some more depth from your pitching pools. That just seems like you would be one of the teams that could potentially be in the driver's seat for one of those two dudes. And I just, I would be living in 
fear that you give up a big trade package for a pitcher that ends up being number three for you in a playoff series and then have an opportunity cost loss for one of those two guys. It just, to me, it feels like the NBA. I made this analogy, Blake, but like, this kind of feels like if you're trading for Donovan Mitchell right now, if you're getting one of those two starting pitchers. Right. You're taking a bunch of assets and you're going to get a guy. It's like, yeah, it's an all-star. Yeah, he's going to be able to score, but are you going to win a championship because of this addition? Especially in a year where you're out of the division, right? So, like, even if you're loaded, the wild card series is going to be close. Like, we're talking 55-45, Probably yeah. on the deep deep end. So, JD, I was going to do the the hitter confidence index with you, but we can do that anytime. We'll do that some. We'll double back to that sure. sometime in August. I got a, cool. I got one more for you before I let you go back to the pool and your Moscow Mule. Yusei Kikuchi comes I never off take the a break for the Moscow Mule. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Yusei Kikuchi comes off the IL tonight to face yeah. the worst offense in baseball, but a baseball that hits uh, uh, offense that hits lefties pretty well how insane is a minus 225 line for the jays in yusei kikuchi's first outing back from the il i understand it because we joke about this all the time is the information you have the sports books have a lot more oh yeah but it's really easy to google (laughs) how teams do against different sides like different pitchers lefties and righties and splits like it's the easiest thing you can do on baseball reference is splits <laughs> and the tigers are mashing lefties lately so do i trust that that's like a immovable sample or something that couldn't like you say kikuchi could mow down a lineup a batting order that hasn't been very uh has been very 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 underwhelming this season of course he could but the idea that you would lay 230 juice on this win uh, when the total, I believe, is nine, which yeah. indicates that there's going to be a lot of runs, like they're telling you two different things. They're telling you that they think that there's going to be a lot of runs scored in this game, and usually games like that have a lot of volatility. So I, I don't like laying the two thirty. I don't like laying the minus one and a half. If anything, tonight, I like. I hate to say it, but from a value standpoint, it's kind of a no-brainer to put a tiny little sprinkle on the Tigers and go happiness hedge. Yeah, or at least the, at least the early part of the game. Look at a five-inning yeah. line or something like that. Um, yeah, that's a big one. A lot of a lot riding, not necessarily for deadline moves on this UKSA Kikuchi start, but certainly our confidence in him. Uh, JD, mm-hmm. thanks for taking the time, man. We'll bring you back Always, bro. Uh, sometime post-deadline, and we'll go through those confidence uh, index ranks. I hope you get your guy. I hope you get Ian Happ. Uh, I hope so, too. Yeah, a guy who's bad at all the outfield positions, better than a guy who's good at none of them. Can we uh, just get some guys in the back of the bullpen that you're excited? Yes. Did, did you see the the video of uh, Edwin Diaz coming yeah. out of the bullpen for like? And yeah. I love Romano; he's got a cool one too. But I want to have a guy where I do a fake trumpet for. Okay, yeah. like that's what I want. Yeah. Well, last night a guy comes in and he's got 60 strikeouts in 40 innings, and it's like you look at his baseball savant page and it's all just bright red 99th percentile. It's like yeah. yeah. Give me one of those. Yes, uh, I love a guy who throws strikes and punches people out and that I can yell, go sit in the truck in anger in the seventh <laughs> inning. Like, yeah, you can yell the Manoa at the Red Sox stuff. Yes. Uh, J.D. Bunkus, uh, the triple bet king. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the rest of your pool day. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. J.D. Bunkus of the Fan Morning Show, of the Wake and Rake. Good pal. Uh, not riding with the Jays, at least at that line, with Yusei Kikuchi on the mound tonight. Uh, we're going to talk a little more trade deadline stuff. We're going to take a break, and then Keith Love, the Athletic, joins us. Uh, before we get into the prospect at the deadline stuff, though, we were off a couple days last week because of the All-Star break. Let's get Keith Light. Whoa, Keith Law's take. JR's looking at me behind the glass. He knows I almost said Keith Lee. 
and he knows why. We were talking about it right before we came on. Keith Law is going to give us his take on the Toronto Blue Jays draft from last week, and then we'll see what a Jordan Groshans, what a Elvis Martinez, what a Yosfer Zulueta could get you at the deadline. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, we just spoke to J.D. Bunkus about some of the Jay's renovations coming at Rogers Center. Now, we're going to talk to Keith Law of The Athletic about potential roster renovations coming for the Toronto Blue Jays. Keith Law, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Who did I? Who, who did you bring me into? Is that Charlie Bliss? Yeah, that was Charlie Bliss. My God. Have you been stalking me on Spotify? Not on. I did follow you on Spotify at Keith Law One just to to see what's going on. But uh, when you first just listened to that album the other day, nice. Uh, When you first came on, I I looked through your like a couple of your year end lists. Mostly, I mean, to play you in the first time, but then we have a lot of overlap. So uh, I just kind of made mental note of a few like that. I think last time you on excellent taste. Yeah, I brought you in with the Beths last time. I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yep. Yeah. Looking What's uh, that new album too? Yeah. What do you What do you spin in these days? Um, I really, like I said, I was just listening to that Charlie Bliss mm-hmm. album. Maybe I don't know two days ago. Um, what else was I listening to? I went back to the FKA Twigs. She calls it a mixtape that she put mm-hmm. out earlier this year. I'm old. I mean, it, that, that looks like an album, right? I don't understand why something is a mixtape and something is an album. Um, to me, that that's if it has enough songs, it's long enough, and it's an album. And I'm just going to be old like that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you you weren't White, you weren't on HotNewHipHop.com clearly around like 2007 no. 2008 era, uh, where not. everything was a mixtape. Nobody released an album at all for like four right. years. Right. Yes, right. Somebody was like, "This is Chance the Rapper's debut album." Yeah. I'm like, "What? He's in Kit Kat commercial. How can <laughs> he not have an album out?" <laughs> uh, exactly. But no, that's a that's a good one there. Uh, as well, and lots of fun stuff uh, ahead in the summer. I, I got to see uh, Rage and Run the Jewels here in Toronto on Saturday, which was awesome. Oh, very nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. That was, uh, must have been a hell of a show. It was. Uh, also attended by former Blue Jays reliever John Axford. Uh, we we okay. were, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he was wow. down. He had better seats than I had, that's for sure, but I bet. not bad at all. Uh, okay, so Keith Law, we, we were off a couple days last week, so we didn't get your immediate take uh, to the Blue Jays draft uh the draft was sunday monday tuesday last week i know at the athletic you you wrote it up and you gave us some thoughts there but let's revisit those a little bit here uh and let's start with brandon barrera the jays top pick who you called quite possibly the best left-handed pitcher in the class uh what makes barrera so special and and if you're that high on him how does a guy like that get to 23 well i'll answer the second question first if that's okay Mm -hmm. um he's a high school pitcher right and Mm -hmm. there is I wrote about this in my last book. The industry has known about this for a long time. High school pitchers are just riskier. They fail to uh, – high school pitchers specifically taken in the first round just fail at a higher rate than every other category of player, college hitter, college pitcher, high school hitter. They fail to reach the majors. They fail to have any sustained success in the majors. It's largely injury. There's obviously developmental risk, but I think the biggest thing is just they get hurt. Pitching is really bad for you, as it turns out. Um, Barrera could have gone higher. I mean, there were certainly teams that were interested. But when we got to draft day, as often happens in the draft, teams 
up top fled for the safety of the college player. And I think that pushed Barriera down a bit where the Blue Jays, speaking to folks who were there afterwards, they just were shocked that he was available to them because obviously they loved him. Of course they did. They took him. Uh, And he has got a chance for three plus pitches, which is pretty unusual. It's unusual in any pitcher. I mean, if there's a high school, if there's a college pitcher with three plus pitches, he probably goes first overall. Right. High school pitchers. We don't see very many of those. And add to that, the fact that he's left-handed people think he's a very good athlete. I really like the fact that he's got a great change up and that seemed to get better over the course of the spring, or at least the reports I got from scouts were that it kept getting better. And you just don't see a lot of those either. High school pitchers just generally, a lot of them don't throw change-ups because why? I can throw 95. Why would I throw you something that's 86 and also kind of straight? I'll just keep throwing 95. And the fact that he's got one and seems to have feel for it already, I think really bodes well for his ability to transition into pro ball. He may not pitch at all this summer. A lot of teams just shut these kids down. But Mm -hmm. when we finally get him on a mound next year, I'll be surprised if he doesn't have some immediate success just because he has that third pitch already in his arsenal. Yeah, I haven't heard this confirmed, but I wouldn't be surprised if his next step is, you know, spend the rest of the season in Dunedin working at the development camp. That's where Ricky Tiedemann is right now between his high A uh, boost to double A and obviously looking forward to that. So uh, Barrera goes in the first and then they take Josh Kasevich and Keith, what does this front office love about utility infielders who can't hit for power because we went Austin Martin, we went Jordan Groshans and now, now we've got Josh Kasevich. Uh, they've got a type, I guess. Well, I will say this, at least in Kasevich, you know what you're getting, mm-hmm. right? That's much better, right? No one's expecting him to hit for power. I comped him and I don't do player comps. People who've read me for a long time. know I really tend to dislike player comps. It had better be pretty obvious. And I watched video of Kasevich, obviously saw the data, talked to a couple of scouts, said, is this David Fletcher? Maybe like a little better mm. David Fletcher? David Fletcher's had a pretty nice big league career, better than, and I liked him in the draft, thought he was a third round talent or so, but he's had a better career than that, actually. I think he's got about 11 or 12 wars so far. You know, play a couple of positions, put the ball in play a ton. Kusevich probably has a little bit more thump than Fletcher, but otherwise a very similar skill set. Maybe that's why he's a second rounder where Fletcher was a third. I think he's very high probability, and I like this idea of we just took the highest risk category of player with our first pick. Now we're going to go really pretty safe, right? Josh Kusevich, he stays healthy. He plays in the big leagues. The guy who makes a ton of contact and and is going to stay at shortstop. Those guys get to the big leagues. He may not have a ton of impact when he gets there. I think there's a chance, but you just took super high ceiling with basically no floor in Barrera. And you took a really high floor in Kusevich without a whole lot of ceiling to go with it. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. And I do like that point about you just took a really risky guy. So maybe take someone who projects a little better. And obviously everyone on draft day wants ceilings. But Mm -hmm. what is the likelihood that you reach a high percentile developmental outcome is an important factor uh, as well. A similar trade-off the Jays made from there. So you've got the the high-risk trade-off with the high-projectability trade-off. They then take... Tucker Toman, who they looked at in the first round, um, has some ties to the organization, was liking every tweet about the Blue Jays leading up to the draft. (laughs) And then they took a bit of a cheaper approach with their other two-way pick and their third-round pick. Um, They ended up giving uh, Toman about two-and-a-half times slot value there. Uh, What do you like about Tucker Toman? And do the Jays, the Jays being as high on him as it sounds like they are, um, is that justified? 
I think so. I had him more as a, you know, just after the first round kind okay. of talent. And then they paid him as one. Um, scouts I've talked to who've seen him more extensively, and a lot of them know him because his dad's been a college baseball coach down here for a while. So, you know, I spoke to one guy who's like, I've known Tucker since he was 12 years old. Okay, that's cool. I don't really care what he hit when he was 12, <laughs> but good story. But there's a chance here for a guy who hits for average and power. Uh, he's a switch hitter. I like him better from the left side. But those guys, you know, they can figure that out, right? The swing can get better or they can just decide, hey, we're just going to have you hit left-handed if the right-handed swing isn't working. The question on him is where is he – I think the bigger question is where is he going to end up playing? He's going to have to work a little bit to be able to stay in the infield. Third base is his best shot. If he does end up hitting for average with power, as everyone seems to forecast, you know, the usual risk of a high school hitter. But uh, if he does that, he'll profile at third base. You've got a chance for a very good regular there. I think there's enough upside with the bat that you're talking about someone who's just more than an average everyday player. Is the arm good enough that if third base doesn't work out, he could potentially play a corner outfield? I think that's where you move next. Okay. Right? You just start. The, it's almost like a carousel, right? If yeah. you can't play short, we move you to second or third. If you can't play those, we move you to right field. Perfect. Okay. So those are the new additions to, at least at the high end, to the Blue Jays. Um, prospect cash. That's uh, you know they signed eighteen of their draft picks, signed three undrafted free agents. We won't we won't go through every one of those names one by one because we've got to talk about some of the guys that they have in the system already. And, and Keith, a couple weeks ago we kind of did this temperature check, but the deadline is Tuesday, so forgive me for going back there. When we're looking at guys mm-hmm. like Jordan Groshans, Elvis Martinez, Yosfer uh, Zulueta. What is the value on guys like that ahead of the deadline here? Of course, team by team, it's going to vary a little bit. But those guys who are kind of maybe not top 100, but maybe in the next 50 to 100, what does that do for you over these next couple of days? I got to tell you, Zulueta is probably the hot name, okay. so to speak, of that group where – um, especially he was at the Futures game. I think he threw one pitch. Yeah. So it was great. <laughs> Got him completely figured out. Total breakdown coming on. Hyper-efficient. All he needed yeah. was one pitch. Really got his work in that day. He was great. Can we just make the Futures game nine innings and maybe not put it on a streaming service? Nobody has. But anyway. Yeah. Um, but I was also sitting next to scouts talking to a lot of guys. And it was very interesting to hear what the buzz was on Zulueta because I think you and I may have even talked about him a couple of months ago and coming into the season it was like, Hey, this guy's got a really big arm, but we don't, you know, he may just be a reliever. He'd missed a lot of time with injury. We hadn't seen him pitch much before all the injuries, before they signed him when he was still an amateur out of Cuba. It's like, Hey, this guy throws really hard and he's kind of athletic. We don't really know what else we've got here. Like, Holy cow. This guy might be a four pitch starter. Like that's a guy where suddenly you're talking about not just do we, you know, how much is this guy worth in trade, but is this the guy we keep? I, mean, I think he's got a real argument to be maybe a top 50 prospect in all of baseball. Mm. And how much, how far behind Tiedemann is he really? Not that far, actually, I think. So I think that's the one guy where they're going to, they're going to get hit a ton on him, uh, especially if teams, if you're not offering Juan Soto or Charlie Otani doesn't seem to be available, right? They, they might just not even ask for Tiedemann. It'll be like, you got to trade Tiedemann? No. Okay, next. <laughs> and then you just move on to the other guys. I think that Zulueta is going to be in every ask after that, Arelvis is the one who fascinates me because I was at him very highly ranked coming into the season. Mm-hmm. He is still only 20 in double A. I know it is not the season any of us, myself certainly included, 
wanted to see him have. And every time it looks like he's coming on, he had a couple of good games against Portland last week, and then they take a day off, and now he's oh for his last eight or something. Right? <laughs> just can't seem to get an extended run of success that would make the stat line less ugly happening. I still like him for the long term. Does some club look at him and say, we'll buy low on that. That's a 20-year-old in double A. Right? That guy should be an A ball. We're happy to take on that risk, recognizing the upside. And there's always the chance another club says we can do things with this player that the Blue Jays, for whatever reason, weren't able to do. That happens. I feel like that happens more and more at this point. Um, it's the, for the teams that particularly still have a lot of pro scouts. They might be more inclined to take someone like Arelvis because they will say, here are things we know he can still do. Yeah, and the Jays have talked a little bit. Um, there, there was a great piece at Fangraphs yesterday where um, – David Loria had talked to Hunter Mency about, you know, the team trying mm-hmm. to hammer in swing decisions and what that looks like. And Aurelvis Martinez was one of the guys they highlighted as, yeah, this isn't the guy who had the innate swing decision of what to lay off and what to jump on and how to wait for a pitch you can drive. And he's certainly not figuring that out right now with a 29% strikeout rate, but he does have 22 home runs in 80 games at double A. And like you said, the age factor, um, I don't know. I, I, I think that a team could consider that a bylaw. I, I also wouldn't be surprised if the Jays were still higher on him than some other teams might be because of um, the age thing and because of, you know, them seeing maybe progress that isn't in the results uh, just yet. Jordan Groshans is uh, maybe the most, I, I guess I feel like he's the most likely to move, but maybe that's just because he's one of the top prospects in the system that I'm just not super high on and haven't been Mm -hmm. Uh, still only one home run over 69 games this year. And I know you've told me about the, the triple a ball being a little bit juiced Um, (laughs) at this stage. (laughs) Yeah. Let me, uh, let me kind of re ask a question I asked you about a month ago. Does a Jordan Groshans get you a meaningful relief arm as like the number one piece in a trade? A meaningful relief arm. I could see that. Okay. Um, yeah, I could totally see that. I think there are people who think Groshans is better than the stat line this year. Um, I have not seen him personally. I know a couple of scouts have come back and just sort of said, eh, yeah. nah, right? It's like, how could you walk away from a guy slugging 306 playing <laughs> a corner, right? You're just not going to like it. Uh, I mean, if you really do, you better really have the courage, your convictions on that one because someone's going to make fun of you for that. But good for us. You know, if there's a scout out there who says, yeah, yeah, there's more there. He needs to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I'm not criticizing the Jays' player development. I think overall they've done a really nice job. There have been some guys coming through there where the question is, would they be? Would they benefit from a little bit of a swing change, a little mechanical difference? He has always struck me as one of those guys. Go back to what I wrote about him when they took him out of high school, when I had him as more of a second-rounder. I was not sold that that swing was going to produce both contact and power. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now. I'm not saying I could tell you what the swing – like I'm not going to be the swing doctor – but there are certainly organizations that are good at that. And that's who I think would end up targeting him, right? I don't think the Dodgers are necessarily in the, you know, they're not trading relievers for prospects, but they're one of those clubs that does that. They find the Jordan Groshans sitting in someone else's system and he goes there and they unlock the 20 home runs. Yeah, that makes sense. Or, or in the case of Gavin Lux lately, you just take your own prospect and you give him four years worth of chances. And finally, uh, finally Mm -hmm. clicks and he starts raking. Um, Okay. So, 
we have at least a little bit of an indication of what the hitter side of the market might get a team that's selling at the deadline. Andrew Benintendi traded to the Yankees yesterday um, for three pitching prospects, none of whom you had in the top 20 in the Yankee system, but it's still three pitching prospects. One who, uh, you know, some people seem to think could be a, a maybe a mid to back rotation starter. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you think of this return for Benintendi in terms of, you know, how it informs the next couple days and, and what the price is on guys? I don't know, I guess in that second tier of, of meaningfulness, which isn't a word. Yeah. It's okay. It's a great question. Even with the, with the neologism <laughs> there, I think that, uh, I am loath to draw too big a conclusion from this particular deal, even though it's, kind of the first big one of the deadline, because I had suspect, and folks who subscribe to The Athletic saw me comment on this, I think the Royals just said, we just want pitching. We're not necessarily maximizing the total return. We need pitching. And that's based on a couple of different things. Nothing really direct from the organization, but also I just look at this package. It's like You, you just wanted pitchers, right? There's, there's no way you settle on those three guys, I think, uh, unless you really said we just want pitchers. And the Royals have had a big pitching development problem over the last couple of years. So that led me to conclude, I think Andrew Benintendi came a little cheap. And I have a feeling that whoever you think of who's the next sort of rental everyday player like that costs a little bit more. I think the Yankees got away with a little bit here in in giving up way less value than they probably needed to. Beck Way is the one, just for listeners who are wondering, he's the one of those three prospects who I hear good things on. I've liked him on video. I liked him out of the draft three years and two and a half years ago. He's got a chance to be a starter. He could also end up just another reliever because, you know, he needs to be, he has development ahead of him. That probably understates what the price is going to be for a rental edition of of Benintendi's magnitude. So the Royals, and, and I read that in your piece, that the Royals seem to prioritize pitching prospects over overall value that they were getting in that deal. Is that common like like do teams look at their entire farm system and say well we're weak at this thing we should attack it that feels like a pretty short-sighted way to value things at the deadline to me yes i wouldn't i would not approach it that way and look again i have a lot of respect for the people in the royals front office some really smart guys there's some really nice guys there too i would probably go about things some of the things i know about at least i would go about some of them differently like their their draft has always pretty much always differed from how i would approach the draft they're clearly doing things on the pitching development side that i don't even know if i could tell you how i would change them other than to say we have a lot of evidence those aren't working and we need to there should be changes where there have not been changes so they definitely have a very different philosophy than how i would go and i think than how most other teams go which makes me again a little reluctant to say Oh, this sets the this sets the trade market for these other players. People love to tweet that stuff, and I think, yeah, I don't. I, I, it doesn't. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. And I don't know who else that's going to include. You know, if a Brian Reynolds ends up hitting the trade market, but I have a feeling GM selling players who are comparable to Ben Intendi or better are saying, no, 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 we're wanting, we want a lot more than that in return for our player. That makes sense to me. Um, so before we let you go here, Keith, let's assume no player is is moving that the Jays would uh, or the Jays aren't in on any player that would have them put Moreno or Tiedemann in a trade those two guys aside who is the target you think would best fit the Jays or you'd most like to see them be after oh can it be Juan Soto is that not fair 
I mean, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> like, it's... Uh, no, of course I'd not. I'd be shocked. Like, yes, I would. you could have anything you want off the roster in the farm system if Juan Soto's uh, right? coming. At that point, you're willing to discuss Moreno and Tiedemann and Zulueta and probably just about everybody else? I'm willing I to discuss really... this show. You can have... The Nationals can have Jay's Talk Plus, and we'll turn it into Nationals Talk Plus <laughs> if it gets Juan Soto here. I mean... I, what do the Jays really need? Other than you can't go out and acquire luck, right? They could use a little better fortune, right? But I look at this club and think there's not a glaring weakness. I guess you could argue there's not a glaring strength. I, don't know, I think the starting rotation yeah, is actually the, pretty the, good. The big thing right now out. is the swing and they don't have swing and miss stuff in the bullpen is yeah. what I think that the toughest thing is right now. And that's don't luckily that's, that's, that's not a hard thing to address. No, I think that's, A, I think it's one of the easiest things to fix. B, okay, that might be where I say, I'm going to trade for one, and I'm going to take the Osborne Zulueta and just put him in the Major League bullpen. Mm -hmm. Right? It actually helps you manage his innings for the rest of the year anyway because he's coming back from, I think it's two lost seasons. He's also, so, he came out of the bullpen in his last appearance at A. I saw that. I don't know what that means. I just was looking at that earlier today for a different podcast I was on. I was like, are they telling me something? Or was there rain there? And I just never looked up the box score to see what happened. But, I mean, he's in the Eastern League now. I want to go see him. Mm -hmm. So, I don't – he he seems like the perfect guy for that. He's a little older. He's been in the system longer. He's not going to make 10 starts the rest of the year. I'm sure they're going to try to manage his innings down. Could you do that? And then also go out and make an acquisition uh, by, you know, seeing – maybe it's not necessarily going to get – a big name guy necessarily. Like it might be, Hey, we're just going to go get some smaller pieces. I'm always generally a big fan of don't overpay for rental relievers. I feel like those guys tend to be not, you know, those aren't great. Uh, don't provide great returns if you're trading actual prospects for them. But you know, is a Michael Fulmer available? Uh, Jorge Lopez. I don't know if they do an in-division trade. Those guys are pretty good. They're also not going to cost you an arm and leg. They're not big name. They're not high saves, you know, perennial closer types who might be overvalued sometimes in the trade market. They're just good relievers. They're good relievers. You can mix and match a bunch of those guys, supplement with one or two of your own, and maybe that's the solution. Rather, And then you, you're not giving away any of the big prospects. There you go. And then we can continue to talk about Moreno and Tiedemann and future hits, and then we'll have a new, a new second tier of guys coming up and guys <laughs> I'm trying to sell and get rid of on the Jays' behalf. Uh, Keith Law, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Uh, enjoy the trade deadline craziness and telling everyone that, no, the prospects you just got are not surefire all-stars. Uh, Keith, thanks so much, man. My, my pleasure. Uh, Keith Law of The Athletic. Uh, if you missed it or you want to know more on the Jays draft, uh, he, he was all over that, him and Caitlin McGrath over at The Athletic. Um, and, of course, any prospect-related trades, Keith's going to be on top of. Uh, I don't know. I, I It was... As someone who is covering a team that's in the AL East, uh, ben and, the Yankees getting Ben Benintendi for a price that Keith doesn't think was high enough, that kind of stinks. Uh, but you had to know that something like that was coming. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised also if the Yankees aren't done yet. We're going to talk to Allison Footer of MLB.com a little later in the show. Um, we're going to talk to her about... the. We're going to whip around the American League, but uh, the Astros and Yankees are in interesting positions Astros especially because I know it's much harder to project and work through and nail down a win-win trade between teams that might see each other in the playoffs. The Astros have extra starters and are apparently 
open to moving Jose Siri, who would be an upgrade on Bradley Zimmer in the Bradley Zimmer role, um, who doesn't command a lot more of a role than that. So I don't know. And, and those two front offices have made, uh, you know, there have been deals in the past. So we'll see. Uh, we're going to take a break, though. When we come back, we're going to talk. Sure, we'll talk trade deadline stuff. We'll talk Yusei Kikuchi stuff. But the soil master himself, the guy who has been all over all of the changes to Roger Center this past year, this coming year, and in future years. We'll talk to Arden Zwelling, and we'll get him to take us on kind of an audio tour around the new Roger Center renovations that were announced today. Arden Zwelling, next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is the Bare Naked Ladies. The old apartment, the old Rogers Center, gone. $300 million worth of renovations coming over the next couple of off seasons to help us learn a little more about those. And I guess we'll talk about some baseball too. It's Arden Zwelling of At The Letters and Sportsnet. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm feeling washed for how much I like that song. Oh, it's, it's oh, great. Cool. It is a... I would say it's a top five, like, karaoke choice for me. You don't strike me as a karaoke guy, but if I had to do it, uh, it's up there for me. Yeah, I'm not a karaoke guy, but it's, like, now setting on me that I actually do have an old house on the damn it. Like, literally. There you I'm go. So old, man. Sorry, you have sent me into an existential crisis place. That's what's happening here. Well, well, we'll pick you up by talking about something I know you love talking about. As part of these Rogers Center renovations, are we getting new soil or what? <laughs> you know what? Not a single mention of the soil or the clay today. Mark Sparrow generally very prepared, typically very comprehensive. He talked to us for an hour and not a single mention. Honestly, seems like an oversight to me. I would have liked to hear to, to have heard about it. Either it's an oversight or the soil construction and the blends that they brought in this year were just so effective that uh, everyone except for Kez, Kevin Gosman's batting average on balls in play, big fan of the uh, of the soil so far. In seriousness, the science solved yeah. it. And I, you know what? I will never solve is how to stop to like getting people to ask me about grass. Yeah. yeah Every it's... single time this stuff comes up, it is the number one response. What about grass? Why isn't there real grass? This organization's a failure for not growing grass without light or water or drainage. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you have any of you ever tried to have plants and keep them alive in your apartment? I've actually been masterful at keeping plants alive, but I hear from friends a lot of time that they've had trouble with that. Uh, that's what trying to grow all that grass at Rogers Center would be like. Um, so Arden, at .ca, at sportsnet.ca, uh, you broke down some of these changes that are coming. And we talked a little bit about them off the top. Um, one of the, I, I guess the big takeaway here is the, and I think this will probably be the tagline or, or the talking point. Uh, they want to transform Rogers Center from a stadium into a ballpark um what does that like what does that mean for us what what is the vision here well it gets to some of the like big impediments right now with rogers center and with actually retrofitting it and that's that it was built in that era of multi-purpose homogenous 
um, meccas to like multi-purpose. <laughs> uh, this is this was what was in vogue when Rogers Center was built in the late 1980s. It's a baseball stadium. It's a football stadium. It'll have ice dancing. It'll have concerts. It'll have monster truck rallies. It'll be one-stop shops. So you don't get those cool intricacies and um, all those cool idiosyncrasies that a true MLB ballpark has and that the sort of throwback ballpark revolution that really started very briefly after Rogers Center was built, right around the time Camden Yards was constructed, that a lot of those ballparks have. So you have things for Rogers Center, like not all the seats face home plate. That seems like an issue in a ballpark. You have things around the outfield where you have this weird, as Mark Sparrow turned it, abyss between the outfield wall and the actual first row of seats. Like Think about how often you see a home run in better ballparks fall into outfield seats and fans are raucous and bedlam and they're having a great time. At Rogers Center, George Springer's Grand Slam the other night falls into this weird service level gap. And within that service level, you have... And I know you've seen it, Blake, but fans won't have seen it. Like, just these massive concrete and steel structures that existed to really rotate the, the playing surface for when you went from football to baseball. And in 2016, when the Argos left, there was no more need for them. So the playing surface hasn't been rotated since then in over half a decade. And yet those structures still exist and are still in the way, preventing the Blue Jays from actually adding a lot of premium seating and fan areas around the 100 level from building out their clubhouse, from building out their weight room and player facilities and all that stuff. So that's what a lot of the next several off-seasons are going to be about, is just removing a lot of that junk that made sense in the late 80s and no longer makes sense in 2022 and allowing Rogers Center to look more like what a ballpark should look like today and going forward. The, the renderings look cool, and you know I think it's, it's definitely going to be a boost for fans, and that's the first phase of this that they're expecting this coming offseason. Uh, a little longer term, though, something you mentioned there, and I appreciate it from your piece, is that they want to also, and again, this is maybe the next offseason thing, but in terms of upgrading the player facilities and the weight room and things like that, to make it more streamlined and kind of right in line with all the work they've done down in Dunedin um, is like, obviously you want your players and your staff to have the best facilities possible, but is there, is there also an element of like, they think that's going to be a competitive advantage having kind of these duplicate or, or parallel um, setups in Toronto and Dunedin? I think there's a recruitment element to it. Like, I think players care about that stuff. They care about where they work every day. It's just like any of us. You care about the environment that you're in every day. And for ball players, it's 81 days of their year that they are at Rogers Center. And this is where they're preparing for games and recovering and training and looking at video footage and working out and attending to injuries and meeting with each other and eating in dining halls and all kinds of stuff, spending time in, in the locker room. Um, players care about that stuff, especially younger modern players. Like they want access to these facilities. If you're a you know kid who's been basically bred to be a baseball player, which is a lot of the kids that we're seeing now coming up, you know, the, through uh, through the systems. Um, if you've been at the IMG Academy as a teenager, you have had access to like, some really good facilities. If you went to Vanderbilt University, you had access to some incredible facilities then you come to a major league environment and not having access to that track man or Soto to multiple mounds to 
um, some of the hydrotherapy stuff, like that can be a little bit of a shock for you. Like, hey, wait a second, why did I have better stuff in college than I do in the pros? So I think that stuff does matter to players, and I think that's a big reason why Mark Shapiro wants to get to work on that. And like you said, that's not going to be this offseason. This offseason, the new weight room will be constructed, and that'll be dramatic, and that'll be big and meaningful. But really, a lot of the player facility stuff is going to come the offseason following when the Blue Jays are going to rip out all that steel and all those guts beneath the 100 level. I mean, for as, as dramatic as the renovation will be this offseason, it's really the following offseason when the, like, actually kind of really eye-popping work will occur. The entire 100 level is going to be demolished. It's all going to be ripped out. All that concrete, all that steel, all the seeds, it's all coming up out, and it's all going to be replaced and reimagined. So that's going to be pretty dramatic when we see it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's something cool to look forward to. Again, uh, a three hundred million uh, privately funded renovation of Rogers Center over over the next little while. Last question on that one for you, Arden. Um, you you kind of end your piece by saying that this is going to, or the hope is that this buys the Jays ten to fifteen years uh, before they have to come up with a more long term solution. What is like like do we have any sort of clarity yet on what that might look like? Are we still very much in the brainstorming stage? No, and that work is probably not going to begin honestly until this renovation is completed, and that could take a couple off seasons. Like it's going to depend just on um, supply chain, on construction, on how things go. Like the Blue Jays are really going to be working in a contense time frame in these off seasons, right? Because we got regular season baseball play to Rogers Center from first to second week of April through to, you hope, uh, late October. So you're really just dealing with the winter months. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there. So the longer-term solution, I mean, we don't know. And that also involves, I mean, Big-time ownership involvement, obviously, because, wow, this is the, like, this is the cheap version of $300 yeah. million, right? Like, this is the, you know, there were, there were other versions, by the way, of this renovation that were much more substantial and significant that would have seen the ballpark opened up to the city, that would have seen natural light coming in when the roof is closed. I mean, there was some really, really interesting and extravagant stuff that you just could have done, but obviously the ownership opted to go for the $300 million version. But when you were looking at a long-term solution, I mean, you might be talking about billions of dollars at that point. I mean, that's it's a really expensive thing. It also involves government as well. Yeah. If you're looking to build on the current footprint or you're looking to build somewhere else in the city, now we're talking about lobbying and politicians. And, I mean, there's going to be a team of people whose only job is to work on this stuff. Like, this renovation right now is folks with the Blue Jays doing it on the side along with their day jobs. But it's time to actually replace the Rogers Center and move somewhere else. There is going to be a team of individuals who only work on that. And so that work will start meaningfully once this renovation is done. Well, it better turn out because the $300 million, you know, that's Juan Soto's money. That's Shohei Otani's money. Um, and the big conspiracy now, if the Jays aren't aggressive by Tuesday... I'm going to say it's because they wanted the extra couple weeks in October to get started on this. Uh, that's the that's the conspiracy here. But the Jays probably will be active by Tuesday. Mark Shapiro said today when he was talking to, to you guys that um, this is part of the willingness to spend we've seen on the roster. We've seen with the... Uh, with the stadium and now that he hopes to see over the next five days. Uh, I know you've been kind of heavy on prepping that piece that came out today and you, you had radio duty the last couple of days did a great job by the way. Uh, but any 
buzz or any gut feeling as to where the Jays are a couple days out from the trade deadline here? Well, I think we just said track. It's my understanding the Blue Jays could take on a little bit of money right now, which is good, right? Because, I, you know, coming out of spring training, the kind of thought was the things were a little tight. So, uh, you know, that's good news, certainly. Um, my sense, just from conversations, is that this deadline is going to be a true deadline, like August 2nd at, I believe it's 6 p.m. Yeah. Deadline, like right up to that. Like, I think the big action is going to come very close to 6 p.m. on August 2nd. That's just the sense from talking to people in the game because I think there's still a lot of uncertainty in this market. I think there's still a lot of teams where it's really hard to get engaged in what they're going to do. If you're the Boston Red Sox, what are you going to do? If you're Hein Bloom, you came out today and you said, we're going to try to make the postseason, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be big buyers. Well, all right, are you going to try and buy and sell at the same time? If you're Baltimore, are you going to try and buy and sell at the same time? What are you going to do if you're Mike Elias in that situation? How aggressive is Cleveland and Chicago going to be? Which way is San Francisco going to swing? Like, I do think that the market is still somewhat fluid and developing. So I think then a lot of work's going to be done right up to the last minute um, on August 2nd at 6 p.m. So uh, I know it's unfortunate for sports talk radio content, but we're just going to have to kind of stay tuned until then. I wouldn't expect anything major to happen until the, the deadline, honestly. No, it's fine, man. We, I don't I don't have shows on the weekend. So if stuff wants to wait until Monday and then Tuesday, I, I've got an extended show and we'll be simulcast uh, on TV and stuff. So I, I'm fine. I'm off air at 5 on Tuesday. So if they could do it like an hour before the deadline, that'd be appreciated. But we're all right. Um, you say Kikuchi starts tonight. And I, I don't think that that will or should change anything about what the Jays are looking for at the deadline. We've seen you say Kikuchi have one good start before and then go back to what was um, ailing him prior or a new problem uh, crops up. But Arden... I know you've done a lot over the last couple of years about when guys are going through mechanical changes or approach changes and things like that. When you hear that they've changed, you say Kikuchi's throwing routine and they've tried to make his delivery more athletic. Do you worry a little bit that that's all happening over like a three week stretch and not over an off season? I prefer it happening over a three week stretch than over a four day stretch, which is <laughs> yes. what we were seeing earlier this season, right, Blake? Like, it was literally making these adjustments on the fly while competing every five days against the best players in baseball. Like, that's why, you know, so many of us are advocating for, hey, come up with an injury for you, say, Kikuchi. <laughs> like, get this guy out of competition. Like, I, I, I think I pitched on your show maybe, like, someday there's going to be a developmental assignment where you can just take a guy and, like, send him out for quote-unquote development. Yeah. So you don't have to do this whole, like, next strange charade. And we can just actually say, no, this guy's actually just going away for a while to work on some stuff. He's still going to get his big league pay, but he's not going to count against the active roster. That's essentially what this was for you, Sikikuchi, because he was only shut down for five days. Like, he didn't throw for five days and then started throwing right away because clearly he had a lot to work on. So I think it's a benefit that he was able to work on that stuff, just away from the pressure of the competition, away from the pressures of talking to goons like me every five days, asking him why he can locate his fastball, you know, really diving into it with not only Pete Walker, but some of the other behind-the-scenes pitching folks, like David Howell, who's a pitching strategist with the Blue Jays, and they really worked on his arm slot and his arm path, like, 
breaking down the video from prior outings and showing him like, hey man, your release point is different every time out. We need to find something that can get you consistent here. So let's try throwing some weighted balls and really slow down your arm, really like get you feeling what you need to feel so that you can repeat that on a mound in games. Um, is it going to work? I have no idea. You could, like, if you could see the future and you told me that you say Kikuchi either didn't make it out of the first inning or you told me you say Kikuchi through six shutout, I would believe them both, honestly, <laughs> because I, I think both outcomes are just as possible tonight. Who knows? All I know is that the Blue Jays have created the softest entry point I think I've ever seen. Um, worst offense in baseball. He's at home. He's had a feel-good outing against minor leaguers. He got his side session in. He knows exactly what he's going to throw his first pitch here tonight. He's, you know, everybody in the organization's been talking him up to people like me about you know, how uh, optimistic they are and like how encouraged they are by the work that he's been doing. They have created the circumstances. They have put him in a position to succeed, which is what you have to do as an organization. As a manager of athletes, you put them in the best possible position to succeed. So the Blue Jays have created that environment, created those circumstances for you, Shake Kikuchi, and in about 45 minutes, we'll find out how it's going to go. Well, Arden, um, far be it for me to be negative about something, but if this doesn't go well, what would the next steps be here? Depends how not well. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Honestly, um, you've got that off day on Monday, so you can do some things. But like, if you're the Blue Jays, you're also sort of managing Alex Noah's workload. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's part of the reason why Kikuchi's throwing today, because they're trying to buy Alex Noah just a little bit more rest, because you know, his all-star schedule is kind of ridiculous. Like, he pitched right before the break, flew across the continent, pitched in the all-star game wearing a microphone, throwing 96 with all the, you know, obligations media-wise and attention-wise and all the people asking for their time during All-Star Week then flew back across the continent and pitched uh, his ass off, honestly, in like 37-degree heat for the Blue Jays. And they're just trying to buy this guy a little bit of a breather because uh, they're going to need a double stretch. So that's a consideration. Um, and then what you do with the deadline consideration as well, right? Maybe you acquire a starter on August 2nd and maybe that's going to start pretty quickly. That's going to be shake out with rotation after the off day, but I, I don't think this will be like a one-and-done thing for you, say, Kikuchi, you know, unless he gets injured. Like if, if he comes out of this healthy, regardless if it goes super well, super poorly, I think he's probably going to get another opportunity. Well, let's hope it goes super well. Uh, just so, uh, you know, there's there's a little more optimism and we have something a little different to talk about next Kikuchi start. Arden's Welling, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Uh, enjoy the game. Lake man, thank you, thank you for pulling me out of that tailspin with, uh, with the old apartment. It's just when when I when I liked that song when I was young, I was like, oh, I'm never going to be the guy in this song. And then I just realized when you played that, oh, I am exactly the guy in that song. That's who I am now. Well, this is this is why I've chosen to be less successful, where I won't have to. I'm not going to buy a place, so I just won't have to leave the old apartment. It'll be fine. Uh, I'll just stay there forever, which is even sadder. Uh, Arden Zwelling, thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Be well. Arden Zwelling of at the letters of Sportsnet. Not the most optimistic Yusei Kikuchi scouting report I've or, or kind of temperature check I've ever heard. 
But you're a Blue Jays fan. You know uh, you know what it's been like with Yusei Kikuchi. Arden laid it out there. The Detroit Tigers are the worst offensive baseball. They've been very bad if you look at any chunk of time as well. The one thing they have going for them is they hit lefties pretty well. How much you, how much stock you put into that is a little tough because you start chopping into pretty small samples, but you do have guys like Robbie Grossman, Miguel Cabrera, Javi Baez, Eric Hayes, all of whom have hit lefties pretty well in an okay sample size this year. Those are the four guys who hit one through four in the order tonight. This is how the Tigers are lining up against Yusei Kikuchi, Robbie Grossman, Javi Baez, Miguel Cabrera, Eric Hayes, Heimer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Willie Castro, Harold Castro, and Victor Reyes. All the Castros you can handle. Tyler Alexander is on the hill for the Tigers. He is not an imposing pitcher. He's a lefty that has a ERA just a little north of four, really doesn't miss bats, doesn't walk a lot of guys, but the big thing is he doesn't miss bats. Now, on paper, you look at that, well, uh, lefty without elite stuff against this lineup with all these righties. Remember a couple weeks ago when the Jays were one and nine over 10 game stretch? They faced almost nothing but Tyler Anderson types. Tyler's Alexander, not Anderson. Sorry. Uh, mixing my my Tyler A's up here. Amateur hour. They face nothing but Tyler Alexander types. Not sure it's a lock that they'll get to this guy. But also, they've seen a handful of these types lately. So maybe you, maybe you like that. Maybe you're encouraged by it. Uh, he hasn't started, by the way, since the end of April. So this is also a situation where, you know, this could be kind of a de facto bullpen day for the Tigers. That bullpen, keep an eye on it. Take a close, close look at how some of those guys look because names like Gregory Soto, Michael Fulmer, Joe Jimenez wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they just don't travel back to Detroit after this series. They just stick around here in Toronto. I guess technically they'd go to Tampa, not stick around here in Toronto. But those are three names that uh fairly interesting. The Tigers are going to be selling 20 games under 500. Those are three relievers that I would expect to move. Maybe you don't move Soto and Jimenez because they're on the good side of 30 and there's a, a level of controllability there. Michael Fulmer, though, 29 years old. I believe he's post-arb after this year. So you would, yeah, he's a free agent after this year. So he's definitely moving. I think the other two you could you could probably poach as well. Um, here's how the Jays line up against Tyler Alexander. George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk at DH, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Matt Chapman, Santiago Espinal, Danny Jansen behind the plate and catching Yusei Kikuchi. That is the all righty lineup. That is depending on your confidence level right now in a Kevin Vigio or Ryan Maltapia. That is something pretty close to your best nine. Lefty on lefty. Two lineups that, well, one lineup that should hit lefties really well and hasn't against the lineup that 
has hit lefties well and maybe shouldn't, at least by the names on the page. We'll get into a little bit more of what Tyler Alexander throws and how the Jays might match up against that. Um, But next, we're going to talk to Allison Footer of MLB.com. We're going to see what she thinks of the American League landscape here a couple days from the trade deadline. Uh, Her, our pal John Morosi, and Mark Feinsand have been all over the the kind of trade deadline beat at MLB.com with a series of roundtables. Allison will come on next uh, to help us tee that up. By the way, Hector Gomez tweeting uh, that the Padres are in serious talks with the Nationals for a Juan Soto trade. Talks have intensified since last night. J.D. Bunkus and I talked about this after he went off air. We were uh, still on Zoom for a couple minutes during the break. And uh, the one thing to watch there that gets pretty interesting is the Padres are not a team that by ownership pockets, they could take on money like a, like a Patrick Corbin salary, but that's a team that we had heard and thought maybe was going to try to shed money because they're just a little bit over the competitive balance tax line right now. Are they a team that could add a Juan Soto and then try to recoup some of those prospects by maybe moving one of their starters from a pretty deep rotation i don't know maybe maybe there's something there uh but juan soto to the padres would make them an even more fascinating team we'll see what allison footer thinks about that and what the jays should do at the deadline uh next on jays talk plus on sports at 590 the fan to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is a song that I always play when I'm covering NBA trade deadline stuff. It always makes my big all your trade ideas are bad column that I do annually. We're bringing it back for the baseball trade deadline to help us set that up just a little bit more here five days out. Executive editor of national content at MLB.com, Allison Footer. Allison, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. I've got uh, the Jays almost up on one screen, and uh, MLB Network has the cam on the Astros, where I believe you are right now as well in Houston. Uh, I'm excited. I think the next couple of days are going to be pretty fun. Uh, yes, I agree with you. Um, I would like to thank the Blue Jays for finally uh, playing as we were expecting them <laughs> to all year. <laughs> so uh, things appear to finally be coming together for them. I'm reading a story that we're, I just edited and it will be up some, uh, tonight from Mark Feinstein, just kind of speculating on where some of the top trade candidates could go. And it's clear that, you know, the Blue Jays could be in on a starter, a starting pitcher, which makes perfect sense. Um, Mark seems to think that maybe Luis Castillo is a possibility, maybe Noah Syndergaard. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I I don't envy the reporters who have to, like, spend 24 hours a day monitoring this stuff, but it is really fun as a baseball fan to follow this. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys, I mean, between you and John and Mark and then all the beat writers, um, Keegan and Julia here in Toronto, it, it's been, you know, all the content you can handle between the, this last couple <laughs> days and then between now and Tuesday. So um, 
you and John and Mark did kind of a, well, a couple roundtables in the lead up to the deadline here. And one domino already fell since that happened. And it's Andrew Benatendi going to the Yankees. Um, with the Yankees adding a little bit here, and they're probably not done given the injuries they've had in the bullpen. Do you think we should start prepping for the Astros to kind of make a move as well? It kind of feels like with those two teams so far ahead of everyone else in the AL that there might be a little bit of a mini arms race between the two. Yeah, there could be. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. The Astros have also been linked to Josh Bell, uh, first mm-hmm. baseman, which actually makes a lot of sense too. Um, I think that the Astros will be aggressive mainly because the owner, uh, Jim Crane, he loves just being in the thick of everything. He loves doing things that make people say, wait, what? Um, they, they actually had a deal for Bryce Harper, like in 2017 that nobody or 2019, one of those two that nobody even knew about. Um, and then the Nationals like backed out the last minute. So, uh, yeah, I would I would say that the Astros are probably not going to stamp hat. And the Yankees, I, I mean, the Astros really haven't had a lot of injuries uh, to deal with. The Yankees are starting to drop a little bit. And so they're, I don't think that they're going to let um, anything, you know, deter them from finishing out how they started, which is like obviously one of the class teams of, of the American League. So I bet they'll make more moves. The Astros are super interesting to me too, not because, not just because they're so good. You mentioned the health. They're like Lance McCullers is on the way back now, and suddenly they've got seven starters. And Jose Siri's a guy who seems kind of superfluous there who could maybe move like they're they're the rare contender that I could also see moving from their major league roster to to kind of just balance things out and add um should be pretty exciting could could you see them doing something like that like if the Astros got a call and it it got them you know a catcher say I think that's that's one of the areas they they could probably address even though everyone there loves Martin Maldonado um do you could you see them pulling from their major league roster to address one of those holes instead of just doing the typical uh, prospect for players kind of deal? I think so. I mean, I don't think that that's out of the question. I, I do, you know, when I think about their farm system, as somebody who's you know, watched them so closely over the years and seen how many deals they've made to improve their teams that have gotten to the ALCS of the World Series in the last five years and the fact that they didn't have, uh, you know, two rounds of draft picks the past two years for being punished. Their farm system is like not that deep anymore, which is a little bit strange. Um, and so you don't know like how much more they can draw from that. And, and I do believe that um, they should be getting a catcher. I don't think Wilson Contreras is out of the realm of possibility. You know, he can get at bats as a DH. I mean, they said that Jordan Alvarez is going to be fighting this hand issue all year. Um, so I think there's enough at bats to go around, but yeah, I can see them, you know, kind of with a surplus of a couple fringe guys. I mean, I don't think that they would like trade a, like a bonafide starter, but they, you know, they, they, they made a deal with, with the Mariners um, where they traded away Abraham Toro and got a pitcher. So um, it could happen. They're, they're pretty deep. Yeah. So um, some of the teams that have a tougher, I, I think, you know, that that's a little tough to navigate, but the Astros and Yankees are very clearly, competing right now and are going to operate as such when you get below them in the American league, it gets messy quick uh, between the AL central and the wild card race, eight teams still within three and a half, uh, sorry, within four games of a playoff spot um, beyond that. When you look at those kind of fringe teams, and I, I know this is something that, that you and John and Mark have talked about a lot at MLB.com. Do any of the teams in the mix there strike you as, man, they should really back out of this and sell, whether that's Boston or Baltimore or someone else. Um, do you think any of those teams should do that? 
<laughs> Basically all of them. I look at them, I'm like, okay, you're not good. Okay, you're not good. I mean, I have a friend with the Orioles. He's like, we're not even trying. And we're three games out. Like, we're, we're not supposed to be doing this. Um, yeah, I mean, the White Sox, you know, I think that they could probably hang in there a little bit. The Red Sox have been just so bad. I mean, they haven't just been like, oh, you know, they've been having these tough luck losses. It's like they got outscored by 50 runs over a five-game stretch. Um, oh, we're so, aware here in Toronto. Yeah. We yeah, are yeah. well aware. Right. Yeah, sorry, I forgot who I was talking to for a second. Um, you know, the Rangers have obviously, like, never been in this. So um, I, I don't think that – I don't necessarily think that, like, you know, if you're a team that's on the fringe of a wild card that you – and you're not going to – you feel like you're not going to have enough to get there that you just have to get rid of all your free agents. I mean, you don't have to do that either. But if you have some pieces that you think you can get something back for, then you certainly need to um, – you have to at least consider it. And and the Red Sox are just, they are in a tailspin. Uh, the Giants are in a tailspin. And you're fooling yourself if you think that you're going to, like, turn it around, especially in the AL East where it's just such a tough division. For sure. And when you look at that, you know, the other side of that is, okay, if, if say, a Boston or a Baltimore kind of faded away or, or dealt from that, um, Toronto's kind of in the, the leader spot right now they're they're the top wildcard team is very very close and you know they didn't play particularly well last night but they've heated up um do you think the jays are in a spot where like if you were them would you would you pursue this deadline very aggressive or, or is the gap between them and the yankees and astros maybe a little too big um what's your this is more of a question of you know as a fan than what what you guys at mlb.com are hearing but what would you do in the jays situation here Oh, you know what? We said this last year among our little uh, our little staff at MLB, and I, I think we'll say it again. Like the Blue Jays are the team you really don't want to see in October. Mm-hmm. Like that's the team that can just like catch fire. So if I'm the Blue Jays, I'm adding a start. I'm adding starting pitching. Like I'm not letting this uh, opportunity go by um, if it doesn't, you know, deplete some other areas of strength in the organization. I do not know the farm system very well, but. Um, I think that the, the Blue Jays are the team that will, you know, mid-August just like go off and uh, the young hitters will be, you know, in a groove and they just need, they just need pitching help. I mean, I remember watching the 2020 and saying, if they can get past the fact that they're, they just are not playing good defense because it's, they're just, they need to learn how to play better defense um, and just get some pitching. Like this is going to be a force. And I think that the Blue Jays, if you, if that, that's a team like you get them to October and like they could still be playing at the end of October and into November for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I love to hear that from uh, an outside voice as well. It's always great to know that it's not just the, the kind of internal feeling and coming off the hot streak that they've been on for sure. Um, I know you mentioned that in the piece that Mark has coming later tonight, he identifies Luis Castillo as a possible um, Jays fit. Is there anyone else in there or, or you know, in talking to, to Mark and John and your people around the league um, that we should keep an eye on? Or is Castillo kind of the name to watch right now? Uh, I mean, Mark speculated that Noah Syndergaard might be a good oh, right. target. I mean, he's a guy that's like, um, you know, obviously had a lot of success. He's not throwing as hard. So he's about four miles an hour down on his fastball. Uh, since his surgery, but he's a guy that can like come in and be like a number four um, and just, and, and just a veteran guy who can, you know, withstand the, the length of, you know, what it takes to get through October. Um, but I mean, he doesn't necessarily like have Frankie Montas as a blue Jays possibility, but I would think that any, he's just, he's not going to like list every team for every starting pitcher, you know, tries to mix right, it up a little bit, but I would think that the blue Jays would be in on, on just about any starting pitcher that's available and there's some really good names out there. I think Castillo is probably the 
biggest, like the the most intriguing name to me, because he's just he's an all star. I mean, he's just phenomenal. He just plays for the Reds, and so nobody <laughs> watches him. No, I mean, I come from Cincinnati, so I pay a little bit of attention. But um, just great. He's just a great pitcher, and so um, I can see him, you know, going somewhere and thriving in in a competitive environment, which he has not had since he's been with the Reds. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a bit of an understatement. Um, you know, with, <laughs> well, they didn't get to the postseason in 2020. I mean, we yes. nobody remembers that either. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah, score. I mean, the Jays technically the made that weird version of the postseason too, and we don't really count <laughs> right. that here. Um, who knows? Right. Maybe Nicoladolo's a guy, and uh, there are better days ahead uh, in Cincinnati. Um, Allison, <laughs> let's uh, let's zoom out of the Jays box here and league wide. Do you have a favorite? hypothetical landing spot for Juan Soto. <laughs> I, I do not. Um, I don't even, I can't even wrap my mind around what a team would have to give up in order to get him, which is to say, like, if, if you had to deplete the roster, that's getting you to the postseason in order to get this player, then, you know, you, you have to weigh that. So you think about the Dodgers, right? Because the Dodgers, they can go like, they can have five guys go on the aisle tomorrow and they'll still win 10 in a row. Um, And so you can see maybe them having enough because it's got to be major league ready talent that has control, you know, that they have control over for like several years plus some top minor league talent. So this is something we've never really seen before. Like we've never seen a player like this that can be eligible to help a team for three postseasons before he becomes a free agent. Um, And so, you know, Cardinals, Dodgers, maybe Padres. Um, that's that seems to be you know those seem to be some of the teams that you hear more than others. Um, I, I just I can't. I just sort of feel like it's not going to happen this year. And then other people are like, oh yeah, he's definitely getting traded. So <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of this time, right? Is we get to think of all the hypotheticals. We get to think of the best landing spots, and it doesn't really matter the like like. Certainly, it matters if you're an analyst and a reporter, but. I mean, I'm doing a sports radio show. We get to talk about Juan Soto (laughs) hypotheticals until Tuesday at 6.01. It's great. Exactly. Uh, And Allison, you and Mark and John and the team at MLB.com have been doing a a great job of keeping us up to date on that. Um, Keep that up. Thank you so much for taking the time out during uh, what's surely a busy week. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Allison Footer. Executive Editor of National Content at MLB.com. Uh, keep an eye out for that Mark Feinstein piece uh, that'll come out sometime during the Jays game tonight. From the sounds of it, Julia Kreutz uh, has the MLB side assignment for the Blue Jays uh, this weekend as well. If you're looking for for more, and then, of course, uh, you know our own crack team, including Arden, who was on with us earlier Uh, And I guess we'll count JD on the morning show as well, since he was on with us earlier as well. Um, Let's tee up this series because the Jays have four against the Tigers. It's their last four games before the trade deadline. As things stand right now, Jays are 54 and 44, 11 and a half back in the division in the top wildcard spot. They've got a three and a half game cushion over the last team out. That's the number you're, you're looking at. You can have higher aspirations. You certainly want to host that wild card series. You want that first wild card spot. But to make the playoffs, it's a three and a half game edge right now. The Detroit Tigers, I owe an apology to. I called them the last place Detroit Tigers earlier. They are a half game up on the Kansas City Royals. My bad, Detroit Tigers. You're 40 and 59. The Royals are a pathetic 39 and 59. You're way better 
then the Royals uh, as the AL Central has a race for the top and a tight race for the bottom as well. The Tigers have been outscored this year by an American League worst 117 runs. They're the worst offensive baseball. That's true over the last 30 days. They do hit lefties a lot better than righties, so that's worth keeping in mind for Yusei Kikuchi's start tonight. But this is a bad baseball team. Here's how the four games line up. And we'll go into the specific matchups a little bit more tomorrow on Jay's Talk Plus. But you're looking at Yusei Kikuchi against Tyler Alexander tonight. Lefty against lefty. Tyler Alexander's first game back in the rotation since late April. Uh, A non-bat missing guy. That's something that the Jays should do really well against, but have struggled against recently. So we'll see how that goes. You say Kikuchi, of course, in his first game back off the IL, it's been 22 days. He's tweaked the program between starts to try to tweak the delivery, make it a little more athletic. We'll see how that goes. I have no idea how to go. Uh, Arden Zwelling had no idea how to go. JD Buggis had no idea how to go. Uh, we'll see. You say Kikuchi, I think for the rest of the season is probably a, We'll see, guy. At least you know early on, generally, if he's going to have it or not. Tomorrow, Alec Manoa is going to get the ball against Brian Garcia, who, yeah, you're probably wondering who Brian Garcia is, and you're seeing a 0.00 ERA, and you're wondering if he's a guy. He's not. This is his, uh, his season debut. He's appeared in 72 games out of the bullpen over his career, all with the Tigers, a 6.12 ERA. He, ha- he does have a 290 ERA down at AAA this year, mostly out of the bullpen, uh, but he walks almost as many batters as he strikes out. So forgive me if I don't think that that's going to translate. Um, that also, This is also then back-to-back days that feel kind of like bullpen days because Tyler Alexander, again, hasn't started since the end of April, and Brian Garcia was primarily coming out of the bullpen in AAA. Saturday, old friend Drew Hutchison on the mound against Ross Stripling. And then Sunday, you've got Jose Brios against Garrett Hill. You got to like your chances of winning the series when you lay out those probable pitchers, when you look at the fact that over the last 60 days, the Jays are by far the best offense in baseball by just about every single metric. They're number three on the season, and the Tigers are dead last. You also have a pitching advantage in... I'd say at least three of those games. And if you have any faith left in Yusei Kikuchi, you'd say four. One thing the Tigers do do well, other than hit lefties though, and it's especially relevant, not just for the series, but for Monday and Tuesday. This is a spicy bullpen. Gregory Soto, Michael Fulmer, Joe Jimenez, all interesting names uh, who you'd have to think are available to some degree ahead of the deadline. Gregory Soto, 27-year-old lefty. He's got a lot of years of control left, so maybe Detroit's not too eager to move him, but you have to be realistic about the shelf life of relievers and the attrition rate of relievers. If I've got a guy who has struggled with command his whole career and is finally putting it together a little bit and I'm not competitive, I'd probably look to move him. If you're the Jays, that's a lefty with big heat. 98 mile an hour fastball that he throws about 80% of the time. 
Tim Mesa has stopped missing bats completely. Anthony Bonda, I know they're working on some stuff with him and they think they can get more out of him. Maybe there's something there. Maybe it'll keep moving and it'll move in the right direction. Gregory Soto will be a huge upgrade from the left side. Michael Fulmer is almost definitely moving, I'd say. He's 29 years old. He's a pending free agent. I don't know why Detroit would would hang on to him. Uh, he has a 284 ERA. Not great strikeout the walk stuff. But he's managed around that in the past. He had a 297 ERA overall of last year. I don't think he's quite the slam dunk of Gregory Soto is, at least on paper. Some of the advanced metrics think he's uh, been very, very lucky. It depends how much credit you give to him for almost never allowing home runs. Because that hasn't always been the case for him. I'm a little cooler on Fulmer. Joey Jimenez is a guy that I'm fascinated with. 34% strikeout rate, 5% walk rate. So you're talking almost a 7 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. Ball doesn't get out of the park a ton. Big swinging strike rate. He's another 27-year-old with years of control, though. Um, A little closer to free agency. Only a year extra of control. So Jimenez is a guy I could see moving for sure. Um, One of the best ways to look for reliever targets is to find the losing teams and then sort by uh, strikeout minus walk ratio. It's kind of our most efficient way of sorting. Joe Jimenez comes out near the top there. So maybe one of these Detroit Tigers is a Toronto Blue Jay after the weekend and they just stay behind and go with the Jays to Tampa. Who knows? Everyone seems to think this is going to go all the way down to the deadline, but you'd have to think if anything could happen early, it's between two teams who are playing against each other as talks ramp up here. I mean, we just saw it. The Yankees are playing against the Royals and Andrew Benintendi's a Yankee now. Maybe a little uh, area to identify a prop bet if you like the old revenge game theory. First pitch tonight is 7.07. We're going to kick it over to Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith shortly. Blair and Barker have you post-game. Show Ali will be in Baseball Central. Um, But before we do that, here are the lineups one more time. Up against Tyler Alexander, the Jays will go with the full righty lineup. Something close to their A lineup, depending on how you feel about Toppy and Biggio. George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Matt Chapman, Santiago Espinal, and Danny Jansen. Kirk is the DH. Jansen catches Kikuchi. Kikuchi will go up against a top four that all hit lefties really well on the year. Not massive samples, but some good results. Robbie Grossman, Javi Baez, Miguel Cabrera, Eric Hayes, Yimer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Will Castro, Harold Castro, Victor Reyes. You got to like your chances in this one if you say Kikuchi gives you much. The Jay, Probably not as much as the gambling lines like the Jays' monster 225 favorites. That's too much for you, say Kikuchi, first day off the IL, given what his ups and downs have looked like. But you can get there. Um, we do have a couple texts left in the text line that we didn't get to earlier. A lot of people texting in about the Rogers Center renovations. Um, Adam in North York wants them to beautify the exterior by going with uh, Boston Ivy and a solar panel wall. Hey, that's not a bad idea. Um, I don't think that's coming. We, we didn't uh, 
we didn't see in the press release or, or what Arden's Welling wrote uh, any talk of exterior changes. This is just an interior thing for right now. Um, this person didn't sign theirs, but it's relevant because I joked about it earlier. Should we read anything into Mourinho and Groshans not being in today's Bison's lineup? Um, it is a day game after night game. And Gabby Moreno had started two consecutive days at catcher. He has not started three straight days at catcher in a couple months now. So that's something that the Jays do throughout the organization. They don't want a guy behind there too many days in a row. Uh, Moreno does have the odd uh, pinch hit day or DH day or something like that to keep his back going. Um, The Groshans thing is maybe more interesting, but I don't think anything's imminent there. Someone asks uh, which corporate sponsorship you most looking forward to in the new Rogers center. And obviously that's the Jays talk plus zone advanced stats only got to have your glasses and your pocket protector, all that stuff to get in the Jays talk plus zone. Um, This game's coming up in just a bit here. I'm watching Yusei Kikuchi on the screen here, go through his warmups. I can't tell you how the fastball is located. I don't get that part of the view, Um, but Feels like a high-stakes start for Yusei Kikuchi. I mentioned earlier that I don't think it will or should have any kind of impact on uh, what the Jays are doing in the trade market because I don't think one great one great start from Yusei Kikuchi should uh, up your confidence, but it would certainly be better than a poor start from Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, that one starts 7.07 first pitch. Again, it's Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith on the call. Show Ali in Baseball Central. Blair and Barker back for Jays Talk after the game we'll be back tomorrow uh, our last day in this five to seven slot teeing up manoa against garcia we'll be joined by caitlin mcgrath and ben wagner before he goes on the call thanks for listening thanks to arden jd allison and keith law this has been jay's talk plus i'm blake murphy on sportsnet 590 the fan